What's up, guys? This is John McCarthy, and you're listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. LAFC all day, baby. Hello, and welcome to episode 143 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, signing by signing. Folks, it has been a very, very long time. It is a much overdue episode we have to catch up on. So let's go ahead and introduce the boys. As always, I'm Jonathan Reimer, and joining me, Christopher Signs and Christian Aparicio. Gentlemen, good evening and welcome. Hey, hey, how are you doing out there? Happy New Year to everyone that's listening. Happy to be back. I'm actually really glad we didn't record on the second like we intended to, because there's some news that's dropped as it pertains to the LAFC new 2023 defending champion season. I mean, that would just be pure shoulder-to-shoulder luck for us to record and then a day or two later there's some type of announcement that we're like wow now we have to talk about this next week when it's a week old so luckily for us we finally decided to wait a little bit and sure enough news has fallen in our lap well it's a good thing maybe we should just postpone all of our episodes 48 hours maybe maybe wednesday should just be our new record day going forward because it seems like we always record mondays or tuesdays and no matter what the news always ends up dropping tuesday or wednesday whatever day we decide to record but gentlemen it's been a while how was your holidays you know we got to watch a world cup so what have you guys been up to christian why don't we go ahead and start with you how's baby x doing baby x is good world cup was awesome full of drama one of the best world cups i can remember especially the final you know just tried to relax the last week week and a half of december spend some family time and get ready for getting back on the grind this year yeah dude holidays were good spent a lot of time just uh with the family off of work it was nice i know jonathan you didn't really get very many days off so i'm sure that you're going to be looking forward to some days off coming up now you know, what is it uh, you say every, every day from November 14th until January 2nd or whatever it is, you don't get a day off in between. So, but no, it's uh, it was good. Definitely. And this was an amazing World Cup to watch, getting up early, watching it. My life was pretty much consumed by the World Cup for all these days, which, you know, it's nice. It's definitely something to look forward to, especially in four more years when it'll be in North America. No, man, holidays were good. Just glad to be back. Glad to, for the season to get rolling again. It was a bit of a crazy last month and a half for me uh, working in the adult beverage industry. The Q4, as they call it, the fourth quarter of the fiscal year is a little crazy. So a lot of hours there. And of course, the MASL season is alive and kicking. Philly and I are a few broadcasts into our season with the Empire Strikers. Most importantly, in the shoulder to shoulder podcast world of MASL, the MASL has a new hire, a new fantastic mind. That has joined the brain trust that is the social media team for MASL. Do we want to let the cat out of the bag, sir? I mean, let's not blow smoke, bro. This is I'm the Twitch moderator for MASL. Like it's it's really not it's not all that special. But no, it's yeah. MASL was had put out for having they advertised it as a game day social media coordinator, which I guess that's what I am, but not in such a grand title but no i'm you know working for the masl right now as a person that helps facilitate the twitch feeds and it's cool it's definitely it's definitely a lot of fun getting to watch a bunch of masl games and getting paid for it and it's a lot of fun definitely excited to be a part of it you know 
one by one. I will get you all indoors during the off season. It will happen. Uh, we had a couple members of 3252 leadership out at the last game. Uh, so shouts to Lucky's and Black Army that each sent one of their leaders out to come check out the game. We had some pod fam representation there as well, too. So it was great to have uh, some folks from the black and gold community showing up. Of course, Adrian Perez, former black and gold player, is back and killing it with the Empire Strikers. So, you know, the offer stands, folks. You ever want free tickets? Hit me up. The first game is always on me. After that, you'll be hooked and uh, I won't have to worry about giving you free tickets anymore. But let's go ahead and, and let's move on because we have so much so much to catch up on. So let's go ahead and, and wind the clock back a little bit to the beginning of November, right after our last show dropped, which is a fantastic episode with John McCarthy. You should go back and listen to that one again, just to bask in the glory of that moment all over again, as great as it is to watch those PKs and those Gareth Bale goals over and over again. You know, to hear John McCarthy's words about that moment is an episode I've re-listened to like at least just the interview section like three or four times. I'm I'm loving it. But on 11-15, LAFC announced their roster moves for the end of the season. So we retained 22 players, which means we exercised contract options for Kellen Acosta. Latif Blessing. More on that in a moment. Goalkeepers Max Cripo and John McCarthy and defender Mamadou Fall, who is still out on loan. The club declined contract options for Cal Jennings, Danny Trejo, and Tomas Romero. All of them were eligible for the MLS re-entry draft. Tomas Romero ended up being selected in the first overall round with the second pick by Toronto FC. We also declined the option on Christian Teo, although the club is still allegedly in talks to renegotiate his contact, potentially as a midfielder, where we, we definitely have some needs in the squad there. And we are also still in talks to potentially retain Franco Escobar, Seba Mendez, and Eddie Segura. I did talk with Eddie Segura today at the time of recording. He is still hoping to be back with the black and gold. He would not give me any firm update other than to say, see you soon, prayers. So hopefully that means Steady Eddie will be back with us. The club has certainly made some additions along the lines of defenders. We'll touch on that in just a moment. The other big news coming out of November was, of course, the re-signing of Ryan Hollingshead to a three-year contract. He was an integral player for us starting every game throughout the playoffs, had an assist, former humanitarian of the year, and someone who has had a lot of matches in it. So, gentlemen, let's pause for a second. What do you think about the players we chose to retain, the players that have dropped off, and the potential re-signing of any of those free agents? Seeing Cal Jennings and Danny Trejo and Tomas Romero not get their contracts renewed or their options declined, as it were, I think that they were good players that could facilitate certain roles you know it's it's especially having somebody like Danny Trejo who was local here see some alumni and I think that it was like a nice feel-good story and it just it was unfortunate that it you know it, it, it's hard to break through it's hard to break through especially with this team and I think that they understood that and and you know I hope that they find opportunities elsewhere Tomas Romero is definitely working an uphill battle you know he got a lot of opportunity last year but then when Max Cropo was here and then especially with John McCarthy and how he facilitated himself in the last game of the season and how John is potentially going to be our number one going into the beginning of the season as Max still recovers. It's interesting just to see how those all played out. I think the, the moves make sense, right? For that point in time, I think we, we signed the right people. I only wish we can keep, hopefully, Seba Mendes. I know that he's been linked with other places. He can probably make more money other places too. But apart from that, 
and I hope Eddie Segura, I know you mentioned you, you spoke to him. I hope we sign him. Other than that, like the other young men that were not uh, exercised the option, I think that they are maybe a year or two away from getting to an MLS level. And because of all the roster cuts, and I know all the signings that we'll talk about here soon, we needed to make some room when I think their salaries, although not high, probably helped to get some of those over the line. I'm reading on Twitter right now that I just typed in Yegsen Mendez, as his real first name is in Sao Paulo. And I mean, everything I'm reading says it's like official done deal. Like he's playing for Sao Paulo next year. So I don't, I mean, there's a social media account called Central SPFC, which has got almost 60,000, I'm sorry, yeah, 60,000 followers. And it says that it's it's official, that he's he's on the club. So well, I don't know. Well, it makes sense. I, I mean, he was a starter for Ecuador, right, in the World Cup. We had two other players that started for LAFC that didn't even break into the team. And Seba Mendes was the pivot in the central midfield there. So it makes sense that a Brazilian team probably scooped him up when he's out of contract without having to pay a transfer fee he had a really good world cup i thought that was some potential for lafc to take advantage of that but well best of luck in sao paulo that leaves uh our midfield even more thin i do think there is some potential for some of those players to come back to the black and gold however maybe in the lafc next edition of the black and gold So potentially we could see the likes of a Danny Trejo at all coming back into the family since they made it through the super draft process and are still available uh, to potentially join our developmental league. Two players that we also expect to join the MLS next program would be both of our super drafts. So boys, why don't you give us um, a little rundown on our two new players? So we signed in the first round 58th overall, Jossam Kolilat from the University of New Hampshire. And then we signed defender Noah Dolenmeyer from Cal State San Bernardino in the third round with the 87th overall pick. So Christian, if you could do me a favor, why don't you tell us a little bit about Jossam Kolilat, and then Chris afterwards catch us up on Noah Dolenmeyer. Yeah, Jossam, he's age 23 from Dubai. He had two seasons at UNH. He registered 41 starts and appearances in his career for 21 and 2022. And his overall record was 32 wins six losses and three ties so he owned the second best goals against average of 0.427 in the nation transferred to new hampshire after playing 2019 in iowa western community college so he's tried himself in a couple different places continues to seek to excel and progress and he played in the youth academies for sparta praga in prague and he also in 2018 played at stade lavalloy in france and he was a huge good job i don't have the sommelier accent that you do or familiarity with the french language like you do but huge chelsea fan it makes sense that he's a petter check so i I only wonder because i didn't watch a lot of film or his videos if he wears a helmet like petter did hey why are you gonna hate on people that have had concussions all right poor petter check i I love petter check his his helmet i feel like raul jimenez should have stuck to the helmet instead of having that little side headband thing where's Petr Cech now is he still playing he was in the Chelsea front office until this new ownership which cleaned house I think it isn't he with his national team as like a backup goalkeeper coach or part of the coaching tree for his national team now I should really know this my best friend has two boys one is named Petr for Petr Cech the other is named Gareth for Gareth Bale but I should know this but I'm pretty sure he's with his national team's uh coaching tree at the moment but uh 
Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about Noah Dolenmeyer? A young man, 23 years old. He's a 6'6", left-footed center back. He also has some experience at left back and left mid from a local boy from Thousand Oaks, California. Of course, like we did mention earlier, he was from Cal State San Bernardino. So not too far south for school, not too far north for hometown. Three appearances and registered one assist for Cal State University San Bernardino in 2022. He also played for Cal State Fullerton in 2021, making 12 starts, registered one goal. And he also played prior to that at Oxnard College, uh, where he helped Oxnard secure the 2018-2019 Conference Championship. I have to wonder if perhaps Justin Kalila ends up being our backup goalkeeper and making the senior squad this year, at least until Max Cropo is, is back in able. I think it's McCarthy's job right now for sure. But if for some reason McCarthy can't go, doesn't seem to be a lot of other goalkeepers in the system. Somebody's going to have to take the primary goalkeeping responsibilities at the MLS next pro level. So somebody is likely to be incoming there. So potentially a backup keeper for LAFC at the start of the season and then a primary keeper for LAFC next moving forward, whether that's Kalilat or not remains to be seen. But I think we could be seeing a little bit more of him in the immediacy than expected with a lot of center backs in the system at the moment and more on that in just a moment. I don't think we'll be seeing Dolenmeyer anytime soon. Those third round picks have a really tough chance of, of making it to the senior squad as we've seen throughout history. So well, we'll see. We'll see how that pans out. Now let's get in to the juicy, juicy new player signings, the things that we as as football fans around the globe always salivate over. Uh, we got some fantastic new signings. So to catch us up on our new Honduran signing, Mr. Aparicio, take it away. Yep, they signed on loan, Daniel Maldonado. He's 24 years old, plays and is coming from Club Deportivo Pontagua in Honduras, on loan for this upcoming 2023 season he had 21 appearances with the Honduran team including nine in 2022 for World Cup you know how tough Honduras is in the back and they defend well and they hit you on the counter so you know used to playing that physical style of play in international play and in the domestic league he uh, appeared three games in the 2021 Tokyo Olympics he defended for the U17 level as well at 21 he came to the senior level with a 4-0 win being his first appearance against Puerto Rico Maldonado has three championships with CD Club Deportivo Montagua at 18-19 Apertura and Clausura and then 2021-22 Clausura as well so he's from Tegucigalpa he's played three seasons in Montagua and he's been very successful in that domestic lead in Honduras um, with 116 appearances, scoring five goals as a defender and registering two assists. So, you know, he can contribute up top if needed. Uh, Maldonado did join the Liga MX side Club Pachuca on loan also in 2019 after his uh, successful stint with uh, Club Deportivo Montagua. Um, he had three appearances in Copa MX. He then joined Club Deportivo Everton in Chile, first division in 2020-2021. He registered one goal in 19 appearances there. So uh, he's been in different places, right? South America, Central America, and Mexico. He's been proven. He's in the national team. So I think he's had some experience in different scenarios, different styles of play. So I think it's a good move for LAFC to bring some of his caliber, his mentality to fortify our back line, especially with some movement there in this offseason. I love the physicality of this signing. You know, he just seems like one of those brick poop house kind of players right where uh you know and the fact that he's going to be under the tutelage of Giorgio Chiellini you know speaks volumes to what this club is looking for in a defensive need going forward and I think one thing 
LAFC haven't had at center back is someone who is able to use physicality to their advantage. We've had some large, very physical players, and that's been beneficial on the offensive side of the ball. But on the defensive side of the ball, we always haven't had players that have been able to use their physicality without, you know, racking up cards or pens. So a player that is hopefully smart and overbearing physical is what I love about this signing. Chris, any thoughts on Daniel Maldonado? I think it's definitely a great opportunity for this young man. You know, coming over, there's also the idea that it's going to give him the opportunity for a little bit more of that exposure. The springboard opportunity, especially if LAFC like him, there could be that opportunity later on down for an option to buy. Um, And uh, we do definitely need it, especially if we don't re-sign some of the players that are currently out out of contract with us and they're looking to re-sign and negotiate and and you know we need that physicality in that back line and re-solidifying it as, as best we can so i'm looking forward to it i think that having a player on loan if they enjoy their time here it almost makes it like they're hungrier and type of player because they know that they haven't secured their spot here on the squad so it just kind of reminds me of uh tuesta when he first came here he came as a loan a lone player and and he did phenomenal for us and it was just such a perfect match that we ended up signing him long term and and I hope that that can kind of be the same thing. Speaking of young and talented, our next big signing is perhaps the most scintillating of all the new additions to the squad and that is Croatian forward Stipe Bjuk. Uh, he is 20-year-old Croatian international joining LAFC from Haduk Split. This is a really, really big deal. We're talking about a player that was listed as one of the top 40 youth players in Europe. He was on the radar of some very, very big teams. We know Man City made a big push to try and sign this kid with the idea that they would send him to NYCFC to get some MLS experience. And I think at that point he said, well, you know, if the plan is for me to go to MLS, then he chose black and gold and, and preferred to be here with us. Uh, so he's joining LAFC as part of the U22 initiative, which is basically like a young DP spot, right? You, you only get so many of those U22 initiatives. Those are very, very important pieces of a roster to leverage. We've seen some very successful U22 signings for LAFC in the past. You've mentioned Atuesta. I think this is another one of those coups by Thorrington. This might end up being the biggest signing of the offseason for LAFC. This is a player I'm really, really excited about. You know, John Thorrington described him as a player with considerable experience for his age. We're talking about a player that made his professional debut with Hajik at 17 years old. I mean, to be able to make the Golden Boy Award finalist as well, too. You know, Gavi from Barcelona, someone who won that award previously. We're talking about a really, really fun, talented young forward here. He's a Croatian native. So, I mean, obviously the adjustment to the United States, to the language, I don't know how well he speaks it, if he's going to be able to pick up on English quick, hopefully, because I don't think we have any other players, uh, Croatian on the roster or in the front office that are going to be able to help him. We know when Kim Moon came over, you know, that was, a big piece of his inability to really integrate well into the squad was the fact that he couldn't communicate so well with the players, but he's young. He's got a lot of experience. He's incredibly talented. The videos I've watched um, so far 
really electric player, ready to take somebody on, got some lightning speed to him. Not that LAFC really needed another forward. We we have a plethora of people, especially in the winger position, but a kid I'm really excited about. Boys, have you had a chance to watch much of the video and what are your thoughts on Stipe Butte? Uh, yeah, I've been able to watch some of the videos and I agree with you. He has an understanding that comes through in the in the videos of when, when to go, how to cut, when to shoot, be able to shoot with both feet. I'm just interested to see because at least in the videos I saw him playing on the left wing. It's going to be tough to break in with the type of like last quarter of the season that Denny Bowanga had. But I think if he is hungry, then it, it'll push Denny at the very least. Or if he breaks through, that means that he is that much better than Denny. Also, we're going to have so many games, right? And if he can play on the other side, as Vela becomes more, I think, rested so that we can have him fresh for the playoffs as we need him with League's Cup and the other competitions, Champions League, etc. I think it's a good signing for us to have some depth up top, especially with not signing some of the, the names that we talked about at the beginning of the episode. Uh, I definitely got to see some some of the highlights, especially after the signing first came out. Had you split, you know, for those of us that had read the uh the book by James Montague uh Hedjuk Split was one of the clubs that was listed when he went to uh Croatia and he talked about the supporter culture and everything that was going on there and so I I'm definitely very interested to see what Stipe Buke's opinion is going to be of the 3252 uh when he sees them in all of their glory and um you know it, it's interesting uh and I, I I would also be interested to see you know we haven't had any one of these friendlies since pre-pandemic. So, you know, maybe this would be an opportunity to have Heiju Split come out and and do some type of off-season friendly in the middle of the MLS season or something like that. that would, I think that that would be kind of cool and a lot of fun. But, uh, you know, definitely the club he's coming from is a huge club with a, a huge supporter culture. And, and for him to come here, I'm sure that that might have been some type of selling point too, where it's like, hey, look at the fan base and everything that that we bring. Talking about a player that has featured for his national team, Croatia, at virtually every level. He was a big, big part of their U21 European Championship run that saw them into the quarterfinals. So, you know, a guy who's already got big tournament experience and has played at every U level for Croatia. And I think we're expecting him to get call-ups to the senior team as well, too. Before we dive into the sad departure, uh, let's talk about the most recent addition. Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about the big news that dropped yesterday from Tommy Scoops and became officially official from the big club today? Absolutely. Really excited. You know, we've been kind of clamoring to find out what's going to happen with our, our defense and our center back pairings. Well, so the club announced today, Aaron Long, U.S. men's national team player, former New York Red Bull, played for the Red Bulls for seven seasons, 175 appearances in the MLS, 169 starts. He did have that injury, and that was kind of this past season, and, and there was a little bit of the clouded understanding of whether or not he was going to be able to represent the United States, but uh, he had worked his way back in. Uh, a veteran, veteran center back signing. I mean, 2018 MLS Defender of the Year. He represented the World Cup. The U.S. in the World Cup. Uh, I mean, he's him had 29 caps for the uh, the U.S. He appeared in several of the World Cup qualifiers, and uh, you know he's a Southern California native from Oak Hill, Oak Hills, California. Went to Serrano High School, and uh, you know John Thornton had some very strong complimentary things to say. Aaron is among the top central defenders in the MLS and the U.S. national team pool. We are incredibly excited that he has chosen to come to LAFC. We are confident that Aaron's ability and 
experience will prove to be an important part of our continued success at this club. I mean, it's when you look at Murillo and Aaron Long or Aaron Long and Giorgio Chiellini, I, I mean, it's it's awesome. It's 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 a really he's a really good, solid center back. I wonder what this spells for Eddie Segura. I know the team had been experimenting with him as a defensive midfielder. He had some experience there earlier in his career, but with Kellini, Jesus David Murillo, the new signing, Daniel Maldonado, new signing in long. I mean, there's four center backs. That's that's pretty much what you would expect a normal team to carry on the roster. So you have to wonder if there's there's even space at, at this point for an Eddie Segura. I mean, what this might mean for Steady Eddie and his future with the club, but Bringing in a U.S. men's national team veteran, an MLS veteran, you know, so much of the complaint two off seasons ago about LAFC signing was that it was very international heavy and we didn't have a lot of that MLS experience to it. Last offseason, we went really heavy on the MLS experience. It certainly paid off. We got ourselves our first cup. You know, this offseason, it's been fairly heavy on the international signings. And you're starting to hear people grumble that, you know, the pendulum has swung back the other direction and LAFC is trying to go after all these internationals when it was, you know, stout veteran MLS talent that won them a cup. And here we have a stout veteran MLS talent coming in this week. So I think we're seeing a little bit more balance to the roster build reflected in this offseason. And in JT, we trust some people are frustrated about this signing and think he's over the hill. I don't think we're talking about a player we're expecting to get the lion's share of minutes. I think he's a player that can handle a decent workload. We're going to have a healthy amount of games this season with all the various competitions that we'll be playing in. So I certainly think there's a chance for all four of these guys to get running and potentially even room on the roster for more center backs and the return of an Eddie Segura as well, too. So this doesn't completely rule him out, just given the number of competitions we'll be playing in. Christian, your thoughts? Yeah, no, it makes me think, uh, I know you mentioned Eddie, but like I know that Mama Dufal was re-signed also. Like, is he coming back? Is he going to stay in Spain? Is that more of a move to lock him into our rights so that we can get a sell-on as he continues to improve? Or really do we need him back? I think it depends whether or not we sign Eddie. So like, I think he is one of the defensive last dominoes to fall to see how we stack up this upcoming season. And the move is fine. It's exciting because we finally have another U.S. men's national team player. Right. I think two seasons ago, we didn't have any after Walker left. Then we got Kellen and I have Kellen and, and uh, Aaron Long. So that's cool. And I like that having the representation, uh, especially I like when LAFC puts that on Twitter with all the flags in terms of the picture of the starting lineup, having the different flags and having the U.S. on there, you know, to me, is pretty cool. So I know he was tied to the Galaxy, to Inter Miami, different places wanted him, Seattle wanted him. So he's no scrub. He isn't the 2018 version either, especially after some injuries. But I think he's going to be a useful player with experience that's been in the league a long time and knows how to grind out games defensively, can pass the ball, maybe isn't as fast. But I think the way we play in segments and in transition, I think we have the coverage he needs in front of him to not be exposed like he was at uh, Red Bull. This is an exciting signing. I mean, we're talking about a player that's won a USL Cup with Sacramento Republic, has a lot of experience on the West. Uh, you know, had some time up in the Pacific Northwest as well, too. I think he was uh, originally drafted by the Portland Timbers, signed by the Sounders. So, I mean, he has a lot of experiences with, uh, you know, the various franchises out here on the West Coast. And a stout defender with experience is never something you can shake your head at. I mean, people said Giorgio Collini was too old when he came in, and yet, you know, he marshaled the defense really well. 
you know, his ability to have the tutelage of other players around him as well, too, is something we're all very excited about. So a, a bright positive in the signing of Aaron Long. But that brings us on to a very, very dark day in the history of the black and gold. One that that strikes personally, deeply, I think, for every single person that has cheered on LAFC for the past five seasons. Uh, so let's go ahead and rip the Band-Aid off on this one. LAFC have sent Latif Blessing off in exchange for $400,000 in general allocation money. Uh, he will be joining the New England Red Bulls. We're talking about LAFC's all-time leader in games and minutes. We're talking about a player who has been described as the heartbeat of this team. He is beloved by the fan base and and will continue to be beloved by the fan base. But $400,000 in Garber bucks, plus the potential to earn $300,000 more based on some performance incentives, is a healthy amount of allocation money. You know, $400,000 as a transfer fee is not the same as $400,000 in allocation money as a transfer fee. You know, that money is worth three to four times what you would, you know, get in, in a transfer fee money. So you have to view this as really like selling Latif for somewhere in the one to two million dollars of, of real money camp, uh, as opposed to the Garber bucks. It's disappointing, but there were some key pieces that I think need to be talked about. And we, we've certainly, I think, as a podcast, been at the forefront of speaking about the issues in Latif's personal life, more so than many other outlets have covered and I'm surprised to see so many people in the black and gold community who've been shocked by some of these developments that have been discussed this week. Our friends over at Heart of LAFC and Benjamin Vettin had a, a fantastic article that really highlights all of the key talking points that, that we've discussed on this show before. But Latif got married and his wife was denied a visa by the United States government to come and join him here in the United States. And, you know, that has been debilitating to Latif's morale over the course of the past three seasons. To be separated from one's wife is is a tragic thing. Uh, Latif did not feel the club did everything it possibly could have to get his wife here. The club feels like they did everything they possibly could have. And, and that was an, an issue of tension between him and the club. You combine that with the fact that under Steve Chirundolo, he was not used anywhere near as much as he was under Bob Bradley. He saw his role within the team diminish. He was not getting a lot of minutes. He didn't feel that he was being paid the amount that he deserved. And and I think at the forefront, his wife was not here with him. And that's something that he feels, you know, his new team is going to be able to help him with, with his move to, to the revolution. He did ask for the trade. And John Thorrington did say in his public statement that Latif asked to be traded based on his family situation. But it's just sad to see a player that we all care so deeply about in this community. I mean, heck, my, you know, my cat is named after him. Um, he was my favorite player on this team and someone that we really respected, not only for his heart and fight on the pitch, but his work within the community as well, too. Latif was at every LAFC event in the community. I mean, even, you know, people's he would show up at people's quinceaneras and, and show up at birthday parties to celebrate little kids, things well outside of the purview of the black and gold. And this one is going to be one that stings for a lot of us. And and gentlemen, I, I know it hits home for you too as well. So what are your thoughts on the departure of our, our second to last original black and gold player in Latif Blessing? Yeah, I, I agree. It's, uh, it's a hard moment for sure. But at the end of the day, if he asks for it and he feels like he's not happy and not performing or contributing in the way he wants to or the way he has in the past to the best of his abilities. I just want him to go and do what he loves, which is play. 
Um, sad it's not going to be for LAFC anymore, but I'm still going to support him. I'll probably follow the New England Revolution, at least his stats, more than I ever have and ever will until he's gone there. He is one of the only players' jerseys I have signed and like you said he would just be at different events i think he he stayed late back in the day when replay and that area was open he was just in there talking to some supporter i happened to be walking by the lafc hq i went and bought his jersey and had him sign it so we're gonna miss him he gave us so many good moments he was the perpetual hype man for the fans for the supporters and in the locker room making everyone feel good and enjoy life and dance so i'm happy that he's leaving with a cup the two supporter shields he deserves that we should have had two cups but we couldn't get it done then but he's an integral part of the foundation of this team and i think he will forever be the first number seven and i'm happy that um he's seeking something that he needs and wants and another team feels like they can provide that for him you know i'm interested to think though right like Latif's wife's issue with getting her visa to come over, that's an American policy red tape. And I think two seasons ago, there was rumors of him being linked with Vasco da Gama, you know, and I know that Latif had, there's just, there's been talk of him being moved at other points. And, you know, when we looked at him getting moved outside of the MLS, it was that was because there was that opportunity for him to get reunited with his wife and, you know, him getting moved to another club within the MLS. I just, I would hate to see him get moved with the false hope of being able to get his family over here and it's still not happened, you know, and, and I hope that the people over at New England can provide for him a service that maybe people at LAFC were not able to facilitate. I have a hard time believing that the front office at LAFC wouldn't utilize every resource available to get a player who's been with your club for five years, who knows he, that he was a fan favorite. I have a hard time believing that they left stones unturned. So it's, I, I just, I don't know. It's it's just a situation. It's a, overall, it's a terrible situation for his personal life, and you just hope that you know it it's able to be fixed. But I just I'm not sure if that's even something realistically to expect. I, you know, we don't know about his contract that he's signing in New England, and maybe at a higher contract level that that changes some of the legalities. I'm I'm certainly not an immigration lawyer. I don't understand how any of those things work. I know that the club, you know, and having we've talked to senior members of the club about Latif's situation off the record. And they've told us that they did everything they possibly could for Latif. And I believe that that's what this club did. I don't think in any way, shape or form LAFC is to blame for Latif's spouse, not being able to come and, and join him here in the United States. I think that's a whole nother conversation about the United States and immigration that I don't want to hop on a soapbox and talk about on the show right now, because that's not the point of shoulder to shoulder. But, you know, I would love to see players and their families be able to live together in the United States, you know, in the indoor soccer world, just getting visas for players who are signed and under contract with the team to come and be able to play is a massive issue for every single team. And it just it blows my mind that a professional athlete who has a contract with a professional club can't come to the United States and play games in some leagues. And here in, in the biggest outdoor football league in the United States, we we can't get a player's wife, uh, a player as famous and integral to the community as Latif was, that his wife was denied a visa just, just breaks my heart and, and blows my mind and infuriates me that that's the situation we're in as a society. But uh, it's disappointing to see Latif go. We wish him all the best. 
Uh, he ends his black and gold career with 145 games played. That's number one in club history. 9,749 minutes played. That's number one in club history. Uh, he is fifth all-time in goals for this club, second all-time in assists for this club. You know, it's it's a big loss to the community, uh, and hopefully we're able to, you know, fill that Latif-sized hole in the midfield. That should be fairly easy for John Thorrington to do. But what player is going to fill that Latif-sized hole in the community? That is a huge, huge ask. He went so above and beyond what any player could have possibly done within the community that I, I don't know if we'll ever have another player exactly like that and so it's it's an unfortunate situation for all of us but you know look these are the things these are you know the problems that that every fan base has and I think it was Christian who said at least he got to leave with a trophy and I, I couldn't think of a better situation to send off a player like Latif than as a champion uh, he will be black and gold forever he will be beloved by this fan base forever and even though his role was diminished last season uh, his place within the folklore of, of this club is forever enshrined. And I hope he's one of those players that towards the tail end of his career is able to come back to the black and gold. I, I hope that the relationship with the club is not so fractured to the point where, you know, he doesn't get that opportunity to, you know, as a retirement game or as a final game of his career, come back and suit up for us at least one time or, or maybe have another run with the club later on down the load. But uh, it's a bummer. We're going to miss you, Latif. You were a fantastic, fantastic representation of what it means to be LAFC. So all the best to you. All right, let's go ahead and move on. Let's take a look at exactly what LAFC have at the moment on the roster. So after today's signing, we are currently looking at 25 players that are under contract with the senior squad for 2023. Two goalkeepers. Max Cropo and John McCarthy. Obviously, Cropo injured. We do not know who the backup is going to be yet. Could potentially be one of our super draft signings. Could be something else on the horizon there. As far as defenders, we really have a plethora of options at the moment. Giorgio Chiellini, Jesus David Murillo, Ryan Hollingshead, Chiqui Palacios. Newcomers, Daniel Maldonado and Aaron Long. We have Eric Duenas, Julian Gaines, Tony Leone, and Mohamed Traore in the up and coming. And of course, Mamadou Fall, who is still out on loan. The loan expires at the beginning of summer. So we'll see what transpires there. In the midfield, and this is where I think we're going to spend most of our time talking about needs. At the moment, we have Kellen Acosta, Jose Cifuentes, for now. We have Pancho Ginella, who is still out on loan, and Ilie Sanchez. At forwards, once again, I feel like we have a plethora of options. Carlos Vela, Christian Arango, Gareth Bale, Denny Bowanga, Mahalo Poku, Stipe Biuk, Nathan Ordaz, and Christian Torres. In doing some research for the episode, I found it interesting that the LAFC website under the roster shows the additions of new players like Daniel Maldonado and Stipe Biuk. It shows the players that have left the team officially but still listed on the LAFC website, Eddie Segura, Christian Teo, Danny Trejo, Franco Escobar, and Seba Mendez are all still listed on the LAFC website. Now, Christian, you, you had some, some insight on Seba Mendez that potentially he will be departing and, and maybe has already officially signed with Sao Paulo. But despite them removing other players and adding new players, they have not taken any of those five players off the roster, which I, I found scintillating. But what are your guys' thoughts on the current roster construction needs and likes? Christian, why don't we start with you? Yeah, no, that was Chris. I won't take credit for him 
giving us the Seba Mendes news from that Sao Paulo. I think it was a, a supporter website. Anyway, but until the ink is dried and there's an official picture or a picture of him signing or a picture with a jersey for Seba Mendes, I don't think it's official, but it seems likely, right? So, but to me, it just tells me of those five that you mentioned, I think Eddie and Teo hopefully come back. Franco Escobar, if we can get him at the right price, that'd be great. If not, then that's fine if he goes because he, he is injury prone. And it's, it's not the first season where he is the preferred player, but he can't finish the season uh, in important moments. So yeah, that's how I feel about Danny Trejo. Good story, but I do agree with you that the MLS next is probably the destination for him. I will say this, right? So I just counted the number of players, not counting the two players that we have on loan. We have 28 people. We all know that LAFC is going to be having their MLS Next team participating this year in the MLS Next, and they're going to need their own 18 players plus reserves for any kind of injuries and things like that. Of course, the MLS Next might have a couple of our 18, some of the players that don't get any minutes in, in a match, right? So it's like you've got your 11 plus four, four subs. So max is 15. So there could be three players plus or minus another couple. So a little bit of overlap, but still you're going to want to have more than 28 players. In my mind, this, we could re-sign all five of them and all five of them could be within the LAFC community. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that all five of them will be, like we said, Danny Trejo, Christian Torres, Nathan Ordaz, Tony Leone, Julian Gaines, Mohamed Traor. Dwayne, yes, right. Those are all players that I think we would all anticipate seeing as part of the LAFC MLS Next team. But, you know, there's more players also that were part of the that were playing in Las Vegas that had been signed from the LAFC Academy and things like that. So it's I think that there could be something to that. Jonathan, how you had said that these five players were still on the roster. Uh, I think that the club has made the statement on Christian Teo and Eddie Segura and saying that they want to have them back. Of course, Celes Mendes is someone that we want to have back. Escobar was someone who had played a lot of minutes and it was serviceable, but, um, and Danny Trejo, right. It's, it's still, I think that there was an opportunity for him to continue to try and grow and break through, but he's still quite young. You know, all I know is that I want Chris Ostomo over Janela, 100%. Oh, bro. I, I hope that Nacional buys Janela, bro. Like I, I, I hope I hope that they enjoy him really well and that they they were like this guy's awesome and they buy him. We've seen players go out on loan and come back rejuvenated before. I, you know, I mean, he never I had Raito... a bad at- he never had a bad attitude though, right? Like Raito went out on loan to Almeria and then he came back and you know his attitude had changed, his work rate had changed. Janela's just has had some lackluster performances and those are not attributed to effort like it looks like he's trying it's just i don't know what he's trying no i i will say this to be fair to him he would succeed with a coach like sharonolo because the system isn't as transitional as it was with bob with bob his speed was never gonna fit well with that system here if you think about Elia, he's not the fastest guy. He gets stuck in, he can pass the ball. So I'll give him some potential to be able to contribute in this team. But I still want Chrysostomo over him. So he could be like the third off the bench on the midfield if he comes back. And I hope his wages are lower. I, I don't think any of us will ever forget his epic defensive collapse in the Conca Champions final that really helped 
put the coffin nail in LAFC CCL run when we were up one nil 70 minutes into a CCL final. And I, I think Janela was a big part of uh, Tigres coming back and, and ultimately winning that game and winning CCL think, and stealing it away from us. I think at that point in that match, when Janela had, had quit on the sprint, we were tied. And I think that that was the uh, Guignac goal that put us, that put us down. So. I don't want to relive that. He was like fresh off the bench. Like he should not be quitting on a play. Like what? Uh, I mean, there was rumors that he was still feeling the effects of recovering from COVID. So, I mean, I'll give it with a grain of salt in that respect, but that was a frustrating, arguably the most frustrating moment in the history of this club. Right. So that's a, that's a hard one to, to buy in. Obviously midfield though, is, is the big need for LAFC at the moment. Uh, right now, Kellen Acosta and Ilya Sanchez are really the only players that are locks to start next season. And for all of you saying, well, what about Sifu? Well, uh, that brings us to the next point of today's show. So Jose Cifuentes has been signed and contracted through December of next year. However, with his current valuation rising to between 12 and $13 million, there are allegedly offers coming in from the likes of Brighton, who have like half of the Ecuadorian national team already there. So that certainly makes a lot of sense that that rumor is circulating. But uh, we have uh, Real Valladolid in La Liga. We have Leeds United, who have also apparently been looking to hire the services of Jose Cifuentes. We know that he is a player who wanted to use this World Cup to launch himself into a European career. He said that in interviews last season, that it was his hope to move to Europe after the World Cup. I think the club... Signed him, knowing that they were going to cash in on him for a sale later on down the road. So it certainly seems like there's a lot of smoke to Sifu departing. Do you guys think he will be a black and gold player in the next two months, or is he on the way out? I think that Sifu is another one like how we talked about with Rossi, where it's like, hey, we know he's not going to be here. And I think that the club should do everything that they can to sell him as opposed to having potentially what you're having with Sebo Mendes, where you just let him go for free. Well, I think we knew Sebo Mendes was not going to sign and it was kind of a... No, I, I... Right. No, I think that we all knew, you know, getting him mid-season from uh, Orlando, we knew that there was no contract extension, but, uh, or, there, you know, there was nothing on the table. But I'm just saying, I think that Rather than doing it twice, you know, accept the fact that Sifu is going to move on to to greener pastures and cash in on it. This is what I think. I think he will be here at the beginning of the season. He's going to be sold in the summer. I don't think there's going to be a January transfer for him. Um, so and I think he probably needs to show well that first few months to continue to raise his value because he didn't get the opportunity at the World Cup that he probably wanted. So it's an opportunity for him. Here's here's why I don't think that that's going to happen, is that let's say that something happens and he doesn't play well at the beginning. It's going to be the whole Diego Rossi thing all over again, where you know Diego had a high value and LASU was trying to push the the value up a little bit more, right? There was the Fiorentina offer that came in, and then COVID happened, and then Diego kind of didn't play the same way, and then the value dropped, 
and then all of a sudden now it became then we ended up accepting less for Fenerbahce I don't think that they're going to make that same mistake here if they say well let's let Sifu play out the first six months of the or the I guess four months of the season until the summer transfer window opens you know and then have him move and sign on if he picks up a knock if he takes an injury if he doesn't play well I mean, all of these things are going to adversely affect his value. And I'm not necessarily sure what more he can do to increase that value. So what I'm saying is those clubs are not making a bid in January. I think they're, they're not. I think $12 million to bring in an internationally proven young midfielder that just won the cup in his domestic league. I think that's well within the spending power of EPL teams. Uh, EPL teams are back to spending. We've seen a lot of the European clubs splashing money around in the post-COVID economics of European football. And I think there are a lot of continental teams that are looking at him. Uh, I think the interest from Brighton is legit. Uh, I think there's been a lot of talk about that. And I think a $12 million fee for Sifu is a, a steal for Brighton. I mean, that's I don't think that's a significant enough amount of money to them that they're not willing to do. I think those 10 to $15 million signings are kind of exactly what you expect in the January transfer window for an English side squad, especially Brighton that, you know, I mean, look, they're off to a, a fairly rough start to the season. Um, they could use some reinforcements and bringing in a player mid season that already has experience playing with a lot of the players you already have seems to me like the perfect signing to bring in, in a January window. You're not talking about a player that's going to have to adapt a whole lot to a new system because Brighton's playing four, three, three. You're not talking about a player that's going to have to adapt to a locker room and a culture because there's already a lot of Ecuadorian national team players there. So it, it seems like a, a pretty smart, logical signing for Brighton. And I don't think Brighton wants him to to spend another six months in MLS improve. And that price tag now becomes 15 to $18 million. And I completely agree with Chris that the risk reward for LAFC is, is far too high on the risk side and far too low on the reward side. When, we were talking about Sifu's value a year ago. It was at $10 million. After the incredible season he had last year and winning a cup, it's gone up to $12 million. I don't know what he can do in four months that would bring his value from $12 million over $15 million to make it anywhere near worth the risk for LAFC. Uh, so I think he's going. I think he's going to Brighton, and it's going to happen in the January transfer window for, for EPL. I would agree with you if we weren't selling Latif and had a midfield depth. Well, I do think midfielders are incoming, and, and I think that's the next big piece that we're probably going to see from LAFC. Two midfielders is not enough. I mean, even if they they play around with the system and and you know decide to do a 4-2-3-1 or something like that, there are some obvious holes in the roster right now. We have one left back and one right back and no backup for either. Uh, so there's going to be outside backs coming in. Uh, we have two midfielders. That is absolutely not enough to compete in an MLS season, let alone a season in which you're expected to play Conca Champions, you're expected to play a U.S. Open Cup, a Campeones Cup, and all the other various different competitions that are going to be taking place this year. We're going to need probably more midfielders uh, at least um, before this squad gets rounded out. And, and there's not a whole lot of midfield depth down in the academy ranks or, or in the MLS next for LAFC. Well, you know, so let me let me let me say this, though. Right. We may be looking at this. I'm not saying that we're not going to get one more midfielder. Right. But Christian Teo, when he came in, I would say that he would kind of come in as a as a attacking midfielder position. So he might be able to facilitate a, a bit of a midfield role 
We talked about Eddie Segura coming in as a six. He could also facilitate a midfielder role if we do decide to move him out of that center back position. We could have two more. We could get Janela back from loan. I mean, and then boom, we've got three midfielders now in our in our midfield to go and work with Elias Sanchez and Kellen Acosta. And who knows if Savas Mendes comes back, right? So then now we're now we're back up to six midfielders. So I I, I mean I could see a reality where we have those six and Jose is not one of them. True, but even in Chirundolo's words, he described Teo as a 10. LAFC doesn't use a 10. Uh, we got an eight and two sixes, right? Or or other way around, a six and two six eights. Six and two eights, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, so unless we're talking about a whole system change, I would love for LAFC to play a four two three one. I've said that on the show a thousand times. Um, and a four two three one I could have a 10 like Teo take over that role. I don't think if Chirundolo was going to, play a 4-2-3-1 I think we would have seen that by now I don't know why he would wait a year to do it and changing a system after we just won the cup seems a a little odd as well too so I I don't think that's happening unless he plans to do that in certain competitions with certain lineups but I mean Teo coming back and and potentially being a a saving grace as an attacking midfielder I just I just don't see him being able to play the eight when the coaches described him as a 10 who has a lot of experience as a nine you know or or as a winger I just I I don't see that as a solution in attacking mid I, I think this club is is going back to the U22 slot we have open I think this club is going back to uh, the youth movement in an international signing and potentially maybe even using some of that allocation money to get another MLS midfielder. But I think with Acosta and with Ilya, you've already checked the boxes of the MLS veteran talent midfielder. Uh, I think we're going international uh, with our next midfield signing would, would be my guess on it. But I, I don't think any of us are excited about the return of Pancho Janela. We just went through a whole conversation about how we don't want him back. Eddie Segura, you know, as a six, that's an intriguing one. I, I think that's a role he could play. I mean, I think that that's, that's potential. I don't think that's where you want to hedge the bets of, of your attempt at repeating as champions with maybe Eddie Segura works out. I, I mean, we all love Steady Eddie. He's a fantastic player. I, I don't know if that's the right move for, for the club right now. Like I said, current midfield, see if it doesn't go. Because it just doesn't make sense. If you put in Eddie, it'd be like three sixes or two sixes and like a seven and a half. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So, um, well, the metal head in me loves the idea of three sixes, but, sure. uh, sure. <laughs> but the attacking I, I football in me would hate it. <laughs> no, no football from a football standpoint. I, I don't think that works out really well. Yeah, Speculation sure. at the moment, there is more to come on this roster, but I think, I think we've, we've exercised our thoughts on the current roster sure. at the moment before the show runs terribly long. We have a couple final topics we want to touch on one that I find amusing and one that I find a little relieving. So we'll start with the amusing one. And, and that is our friends. And let's not, Let's let's use the term friends very lightly here. Our our Southern California cohabitors in this MLS world are our, our friends down in Carson. They got spanked. They, they got a little spanking passed down on them from the league because they finally got caught doing something naughty. Now, this is something we've all known about for a long time. We've been told off the record on this podcast by various people we've had on that they knew Carson were skirting the rules. Many, many people have accused LAFC of skirting some of these roster rules, despite our front office's vehement statement that they have done everything above board. But just there at the beginning of December, Major League Soccer imposed some sanctions on the Los Angeles Galaxy for violating salary budget and roster guidelines during the 2019 season. The Galaxy entered into agreements that were not disclosed, 
that include payments that were not accounted for in the calculation of Christian Pavon's salary budget. And as a result, he should have been a DP player. He was instead listed as a TAM player, and he was well above the amount of target allocation money that a player should have. So as a result, they get a $1 million fine, which is nothing to the Galaxy. They do lose $1 million of available general allocation money. I believe teams for this season get 1.925. So they've already lost over half of their Garber bucks for this season, which is a massive amount to lose. They just picked up, I think, 50K today in selling the allocation rights to another player, which is another frustrating and infuriating thing that that teams in this league do. I mean, shoot, Sporting Kansas City uh, almost landed Ronaldo because they had his discovery rights, which discovery rights are just dumb and something that needs to go away altogether. But in addition to losing $1 million in Garber bucks, Galaxy are prohibited from registering a player who requires an international transfer certificate, i.e. They're, they're banned from signing any foreign players, right, or any international roster slots throughout the entire secondary transfer window of 2023. So there will be no international players coming in and joining the Galaxy over the summer. This is massive. Chris Kine has been suspended. I think we all thought that he was going to be terminated, but we haven't heard anything along those lines yet. Certainly the Klein out movement is gaining a lot of traction within the Carson community. Something that, again, I think just tickles all of us in the black and gold world. But I don't like that. I want him to stay there as long as possible. Well, they haven't fired him yet. So it looks like he is coming back, which I I know. I guess he took the bullet for the club and, and this is their way of paying him back. I'm sure the higher ups knew this was going on. They probably sanctioned it and said, if you get caught, we'll still support you in it. But uh, which is great, which is great for us because he's done a terrible job. And so having him back is, is fantastic. Uh, Greg Vanny's going to play the role of sporting director in the meantime. But uh, Dennis DeClosa as well, too, is not going to be allowed to rejoin any MLS club unless he goes to the league and begs forgiveness. And, and all of that hilarious to me. But what are your guys' thoughts on Carson finally getting caught for skirking some of those roster rules? It's about time. It's about time. And I do want to, you know, say to all those that say LAFC is doing similar things, we have our, was it co-president or co-general manager, excuse me, you know, assistant general manager, I should say, who's from MLS front office, who knows all these rules. And I think runs a lot of these transactions by the MLS before they are closed or after they close to make sure it's above board. I wanted to hear all these people in five years say anything when there's no investigation or sanctions um and we have multiple stars so sorry galaxy and you're doing this and still wasn't fruitful right since then we've we've had two supporter shields in a cup outside of that yeah they cheated and lost yeah that's pretty funny i think to your point not only did we have in in the entire cba negotiation process not only do we have Will Kuntz on one side representing Major League Soccer, John Thorrington was on the other side at that point in time representing the Players Union. So both the person representing the players and the person representing Major League Soccer in the creation of the entire CBA are now both the you know general manager and, and co-vice president and co-general manager for LAFC. So if anyone knows exactly how the rules are written and where you can work within them, 
it's the two gentlemen who represented either side in creating this. And I think they've done a fantastic job. If we find out later on down the road that they have broken any rules, I think that would be demoralizing for us. But at the moment, it's nice to once again, have the moral high ground on our neighbors to the South. Chris, do you have any thoughts on the galaxy getting their behind slapped a little bit with regards to the sanctions passed down from MLS? From a rivalry perspective, you love to see it because it just is going to be continued hardship. But then at the same time, you sit here and you're like, it's always a lot of fun when the rivalry is good and when it's going to be just like almost like sad. It's just going to be sad. Like you're just going to watch and you're just be like, oh, God, these games are they used to be so much fun. They used to bring like so much. And now when you walk into a match and you're like, yo, this is obviously going to be a victory because this team is so garbage. It's just it's not the same. It's not the same as like the, those rivalry games when you and your opponent really bring uh, the drama to a game, you know? I love that. Galaxy looked pretty good towards the end of the season. I mean, the arrival of Ricky Pooch was a big deal for them. They they were starting to get it together very late. You know, I mean, obviously we, you know, got to send them packing, which was lovely, but they played a hard fought game. I'm not so convinced that they're completely out of the playoff picture or going to be relegated to, you know, a bottom feeder team that's just going to get slapped on by everybody. I think they're still going to field a competitive squad, but I don't think they're going to be able to get that signing that puts them above us. Right. They won't be able to do another Ricky Pooge this summer. Right. Uh, last bit of news before we we go ahead and wrap up today. NYCFC finally gets a stadium. It's probably not going to be ready until 2027. So they're going to have a, a few more games at Yankee Stadium or a few more games uh, over there at uh, in New Jersey. But they're getting a $780 million, 23-acre Queens Stadium. So it's not Manhattan, Bronx, or Brooklyn like they had hoped for. What this means for Queensboro FC, whether they're going to, you know, share the same facilities or if Queensboro is going to be, uh, you know, the little brother to having NYC FC in there. But uh, we're here and it's a 25,000 seat arena. It's going to have a 250 room hotel attached to it. And we'll have 2,500 units of housing built into the exact same complex. So I think this is a relief for all of us that finally NYC FC is going to get themselves a proper stadium. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Just happy for their fans and supporters that they finally get this because it's been promised. It's been talked about. It's been surveyed all over the five boroughs and maybe it wasn't Queens, but you know, maybe some of those Mets fans get converted. I mean, they adopted some of the same colors, that orange in there. I've never been to New York. Forgive me. Right. But it's, I mean, Queens is still within the city, you know? So it's like, I, I would imagine building a brand new stadium in New York is just as difficult as building a brand new stadium in the city of Los Angeles. So, you know, for it to not be in Manhattan, the Bronx or Brooklyn, like they had hoped, I would think that it's like, yo, I, I don't really care if it's in Queens. I, I don't understand. Can either of you shed light as to why it matters that it's in Queens as opposed to Manhattan, Bronx or Brooklyn? I think they wanted it closer to the city center. Right. I mean, one thing LAFC loves is that we have a stadium that is in the heart of Los Angeles. I think they were looking for a stadium that was in the heart of New York City, not I mean, to call it a suburb is, but I mean, it is a bit removed from city center, right? It's, it's a bit of a pain to get to traffic and transportation wise. You know, it's a hike for anyone who is in Brooklyn, Bronx, Manhattan to get out to Queens. I think they were looking for something a little bit more centralized to downtown. And the fact that it's going to be not that far as a crow flies, but travel wise, about an hour outside of the city proper. When they had talked about building a stadium, their goal, 
they had stated was to try and build in Manhattan. And if that didn't work, potentially Brooklyn or Bronx. And then it seemed like Queens was always kind of the fourth tier option. Um, And then once they exhausted every possible opportunity in those other three boroughs, they they finally acquiesced to it being in Queens. At least it's not Staten Island. That'd be terrible. Or New Jersey. Right. The sixth borough. And I, and I know, please forgive me all of our people that might be East Coast or New York City people, but because they hate when people from Los Angeles trying. So is like Queens, like the San Fernando Valley. Is that what we're talking about here? Where it's like, like, I'm trying to just understand the logistics. Like I, I can see on a map that Queens is East, but that doesn't that doesn't help me when it comes to like, you know, what are we talking about here? Like, is, is Queens like Hollywood? Is Queens no, like I'd say maybe. Valley? It's kind of like you're in the Is valley. Is it Maybe like, like North Hollywood? No, oh, it's like okay. North Hollywood because it's still city. Like there, there's more houses than anywhere else probably in uh, other than Staten Island, I'd say. But there are trains that run through it. I assume there'll be a train near this. If not, it's a freaking disaster. And I don't know that for sure, but it is a little bit more removed and a little bit more quiet compared to the other boroughs. Still super busy to compare to most cities in the country, but it also is the most diverse and probably has the best food game in New York City. I've been to Queens. It's it's awesome. Yeah, I've spent time in Queens. It's you know, I, I think it's it was not their preference. They were looking for something closer to downtown, right? To be on Manhattan would have been really cool. There was talks even about them like building an island and having to be in there. I mean, there was a lot of talks that that just, you know, didn't come to fruition. I I think, you know, Bronx obviously has a a lot of sports tradition there, you know, certainly in in baseball and NFL and other things like that. So, you know, in Madison Square Garden and some of those other those other big things there, um, they just look, I mean. I don't know. Maybe we'll ask Philly. I'll, I'll ask Philly what he thinks about it. I think he's happy because he's from Queens. I was going to say, uh, he's from Queens. He's not going to be like, this sucks. He's going to be happy. Um, <laughs> it, you know, it's, I, it's I don't think rel- any of us, yeah. Relatively close to LaGuardia. Yeah, there you go. In and out of the airport. Right, but, you know, Manhattan has such a has a, such a luster and appeal to it. You know, I, that's, I was kind of hoping they would figure something out to make it happen there. But uh, good, good for NYCFC. We're spending way too much time talking about them. Boys, anything else across the MLS landscape or across the greater world of soccer you wanted to touch on before we wrap up today's show? Yes. Christian Teo comes back to LAFC. Contract gets reworked. Designated player spot is open. I think we have to do that at this point because we're going to need to sign a U22 young DP to open up the other U22 initiative slots. So I think the odds of Teo coming back as a designated player just don't fit within the roster constraints as we need them to. I think that also potentially rules out Gareth Bale re-signing with the club unless he's somehow bought down with target allocation money. I don't know how you would ever get a player like Gareth Bale down permanently. I I don't think that spells that he will be with the club for for much longer. I I think many people are speculating as to whether or not he will even be here for the start of the season. But I I think LAFC need to use that final DP for a, a U22 initiative DP slot. Interesting. Yeah, I don't I don't have any other comments about the roster or anything like that. I do have a comment about something coming up in the community, if I may bring that up before we conclude our show today. So defenders and once in football are putting this out there on Twitter and their social media, but there's a Flex Community Cup, the 5v5 tournament. It's happening Saturday, February 4th at 10 a.m. down in Norwalk at the US 5 Center. This is sponsored by Flex Power Tools at Flex power na 
on Twitter. So be there. This event have will have all proceeds go to Mauricio Facio's futsal court. So obviously a big, big supporter of that, this pod and all the other pods and the supporter groups as well as the rest of the club and the fans. So uh, check it out on Defenders of the Bank's Twitter for more information. There will be uh, raffles as well. There'll be giveaways. Uh, there'll be food. There's going to be a taco truck there. So be there early. And then the winners will receive flex kits, super cool, and medals. And the taco truck is going to be catering uh, and exclu- there'll be exclusive flex promotions as well. So there'll be demos about the different tools that flex has, different battery power, super cool stuff that they have in terms of drills, saws, and battery packs, flashlights, etc. So check it out. That's February 4th at 10 a.m. That team starts. So get your four friends. You have about a month to train and hopefully get your fitness up to try to contribute and try to win this cup. I, I got a fun story about my flex power tool, right? So um, I, I have the hammer drill and it's got two batteries for it, right? It's got a small battery and a big battery. And because the small battery is what fits on it in the case, I almost always use the small battery, but I, I was hanging some curtains uh, the other day here around the house. I got my, my, my flex power tools out and I have my hammer drill and you know, I just I realized that the small battery I was using was down to like two thirds of a battery power. So I was like, oh, all right, well, you know, I'm just going to charge it before I put it away. So I charged that one up with my quick charger. It was done. And I was like, you know what? Like the large pack that's in there, like that's just sat there for over a year. I've never used it. Like I should probably just top that one up and give it a full charge as well, too. Plugged it into the machine after a year and a half of it sitting inside the box and never being used. Still had a complete 100 percent charge on it. Blew my mind fantastic tools Lo- love what i've been getting from flex so that's crazy that's, that's a free shout out to the folks at flex there yep awesome tools awesome kid sponsor what were yeah. you doing hanging a curtain I'm hanging a curtain <laughs> with a hammer drill well i mean i was just using it as a screwdriver but you know oh <laughs> i mean i don't have the hammer part on it i mean i took that part off i was just using it as a drill but oh, I like okay. to call it my hammer drill because hammer drill sounds so much cooler than just using it as a drill. But yeah, okay. I mean, it was, I was just putting up a curtain. All right, I could have done it with a screwdriver, but you know, oh, power no, tools, no, right? No. You know, so uh, yeah. yeah. But I was impressed with the battery life of of my flex power tool. That was that was a shameless shameless plug for someone who's who's not giving us any money. But um, nonetheless, still waiting, still still waiting on my full set of power tools from Flex. Oh, shots fired! Shots just fired! Reach out to them. Do just email. I got. I was going to say it's. It's not like we don't know them. We could just, you know, you could ask. <laughs> All right, folks. I, I think that's going to go ahead and wrap us up for episode 143. Uh, we would like to send uh, a huge thank you to each one, every one of you for watching. A huge thank you to Latif Blessing for five years with the Black and Gold. Nothing but love for you, sir. Wishing you all the best out there. I uh, hope everybody had a wonderful holiday season. Hope to see you all in the community soon for some community events and maybe out at Toyota Arena for some MASL games for your Empire Strikers. Come on out and uh, support some Adrian Perez, former black and gold player. Maybe hit me up. All right. All right. Enough shameless self-promoting. Folks, thank you so much for listening to episode 143. Take us home, Sticks. Together, this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay flying that FC Dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us so mommy, about to drop her fifth. They won't need to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that. Bat-